Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Traxler and Carolyn Ford to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, everyone. I'm Carolyn Ford, joined by my co-host, Eric Trexler. Today, we have Axel Wirth, Chief Security Strategist at MedCrypt. Axel has over 30 years' experience in the healthcare industry. Thanks for joining us today, Axel. How are you? Doing well, thank you, and thanks for having me on today. Thank you for being here. I would like to kick this episode off and have you talk about the changes and dangers that you've seen since the pandemic started in cybersecurity and healthcare. So, so clearly we have a number of things going on here. Some are just opportunistic, right? We know that, that cyber adversaries, attackers, plainly look for, for opportunities to attack. And as, um, as we have fought this pandemic and, and have deployed IT infrastructure uh, in a hurry, clearly we did so with less attention to cybersecurity, and, and that's an opportunity for attackers to now exploit um, these, these less secure systems and basically take advantage of us focused on something else. Right? We have no choice. We can't just say, let's take a break from fighting COVID and focus on cybersecurity. Cyber that's not uh, practical and possible. Um, but we certainly need to look at the future and, and look at uh, opportunities to improve because unfortunately we have to assume that this uh, is not going to be the last pandemic we're dealing with. And the, the, the second aspect I think we see are attacks that are clearly related to COVID itself, attacks on research facilities, attacks that try to obtain intellectual property on treatment or vaccine research, but also malicious attacks that try to disrupt, uh, for example, care delivery on a, on a national level. We've seen those as well. Yeah, I think we've seen, Carolyn, the whole industry, you know, the, the offensive side of the industry has, has shifted. I mean, earlier in the spring, many people were, many of the nation state act actors were working from their homes because they had to, because they were locked down also from COVID. But I think we've seen them shift from, from corporate targets, you know, critical infrastructure and, and healthcare is critical infrastructure, of course, but in definitely into the health sector, into local areas as nations have reprioritized their intelligence or espionage gathering type of type of needs. It's been interesting to watch. Yeah. So honestly, interesting and scary to me. Um, well, it's, it's very scary, but but just like any type of espionage, the, you know, countries have motivations. They have intrinsic motivation. And in this case, it's to take care of their people, right? If, if you can steal critical information around, uh, the patient profile, around vaccine generation and, and creation, you name it, it can create a distinct economic advantage, not to mention saving lives of your own country. Yeah. And Axel, you mentioned that you've seen malicious attacks to even just try to stop the research. What's what's behind that? There's always this scary connection between cyber activities and traditional warfare and the attempt to use cyberspace to reach political or economic goals, right? And, and we've seen a few attacks that I think very well can be categorized uh, in, in this context where we 
have seen attacks where really the only sense they made was, yes, they intended to, to disrupt the ability, for example, to run diagnostic tests um, or even the ability to care for patients. So what are we doing to mitigate that? And specifically cybersecurity on the cybersecurity side. So we're really in an interesting situation here. You know, clearly the pandemic trumped everything else, no pun intended, in, in a sense that we had to take care of the outbreak, the patients, the healthcare infrastructure, build emergency hospitals in conference centers, build test sites in parking lots and, and, and. And, and we had to do that with the cybersecurity we had. Um, there, there was an interesting quote I read the other day, and that is, we had to go to war with the cybersecurity that was available to us. Right? This was not the time to improve on cybersecurity. But clearly, going forward, we need to think about uh, how can we be better prepared and what needs to change. Right? I've, I've read articles, uh, people uh, estimating that, for example, the COVID crisis has accelerated the adoption of home-based care, patient monitoring, telemedicine, all those things, uh, by about a decade. Uh, well, that opens up a whole bunch of very interesting security questions and privacy questions we need to answer very quickly now. Also, one thing we've learned is that we have been challenged with uh, medical equipment in, in stockpiles. Right? We, had, we, we didn't have the search preparedness we needed, we had to ramp up emergency production of ventilators and patient monitoring devices and, and all of that. So clearly what will come out of this, I assume, is an improved stockpile, be it on the level of the local hospital, local government or the federal government. And that stockpile will include software-based medical devices, which then in turn will need to be secured in a way that they are ready to deploy uh, in an instant when they're needed in the future. Uh, we can't just put ventilators and patient monitors in a warehouse somewhere, let them sit there for 10 years, and then when we need them, pull them, pull them out and start installing new software. Clearly, that, that will not work. So we need to be much more proactive in the way we design security into our IT infrastructure, but also into, into our devices, whether they go into a hospital or into a patient's home, doesn't matter. Yeah, actually, you, you know, you talk about you know going to war, but it's it's a war that hasn't even been declared, right? So we're we're still fighting it, and then the medical provider, the me medical device providers, providers, I should say, you know, they're they're clearly not prepared for the massive, rapid move to telecommuting or telemedicine, I should say. Yeah, clearly, we we see not only a, a rapid increase in telehealth, be it, you know, video consults, be it uh, home-based patient, patient monitoring. But we've also seen an increase of more critical care moving into the patient's home. I mentioned that earlier, home dialysis, home infusion, home cancer care. Right? Those are all now already being deployed or conceptually being worked on and, and within reach. But again, clearly we need to think about what does that mean from a cybersecurity perspective where all of a sudden you have life sustaining and life supporting equipment in the patient's home, uh, connecting to the home network, connecting then to the care provider via the public internet. Those are 
totally different security questions than in the traditional hospital environment where you have a degree of control over your network, over your network boundaries. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, yeah, definitely concerning. And those will get the news cycles as, as you know, hackers, as, as individuals have their private data released. Definitely a concerning problem. But when I think of this, this problem in the terms of scale, I'm so, I, I believe that there's so much more of a priority to protecting um, you know, critical IP of companies, of the government, of, you know, the vaccine information, medicine, medicine type, medical type of information, understanding uh, agreements maybe on where vaccines are going to be produced, where they're going to come from, so that nation states can't take offensive action or t- subvert, you know, a, a country's uh, negotiation capability. That's going to harm the masses, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, as, as always, like cyber, cyber security is multifaceted and, and you give some very good examples there. Um, there, there are so many different aspects on how a cyber incident can harm us as the individual patient or can, can harm us as a society and economy. Um, but there are also so many different angles and interests an attacker can have, right? And, and, and that motivation can be purely financial as in, for example, a ransomware attack, but it can also be political or economic or strategic, as in, for example, obtaining intellectual property, as in, for example, understanding the degree of an outbreak in a certain country, as, for example, understanding which key government officials may actually be in treatment right now as compared to He's still on, on, on the you know, regular job. Uh, so there, there are many political and intelligence type opportunities to use that information and, and to gain benefit from it. And some of them, you had a good example earlier, are purely out of self-interest, right? We all need a vaccine. So yes, there will be cyber espionage to get that vaccine sooner. But there's also the more sinister aspect, as in, for example, uh, disruption of care delivery, understanding the scope of an outbreak, the, the social media aspect, as in, for example, planting falsified information, confusing uh, confusing the population, and, and, and. So there's you know, really a huge spectrum of things that, that happen and, and all happen at the same time. Yeah, so Axel, I mean, that's a huge list of concerns. I mean, how are we doing? And can you prioritize those concerns or... Are you just having to combat them, you know, all at once? Like, what what's the most pressing? I mean, the most pressing is is always around patient safety and the healthcare system's ability to deliver care. We've seen that, for example, with the um, the WannaCry outbreak uh, in in the UK, where eighty one of two hundred and fifty six NHS trust uh, hospitals had to um, had to fully or partially shut down and divert patients to other hospitals. Clearly, things like that have impact on outcomes. Uh, If you have a stroke, if you have a heart attack, if you need regular care for your your ongoing uh, cancer, clearly these delays impact, maybe not immediately, but certainly long-term your health outcomes. And, and I think, again, patient safety and care delivery are the two most critical ones we need to protect and need to be able uh, to, to assure 
as um, Eric was saying earlier, because healthcare and public health is part of our critical infrastructure. And do you see those as the highest risk, though? Like, I, I think of patient safety and critical care. You know, we've seen ransomware hit the hospitals. We, we've seen some other, um, I'll call them fringe attacks. But, but I think the, the race to the vaccine, the, the race to understanding where it's going to be produced and getting your orders in is really going to change the geopolitical um, situation or has the potential to. To me, that it, now we're talking tens or hundreds of millions of lives potentially. You know, who, does, who, who designs the vaccine first? Does somebody sabotage a, a nation state's vaccine cap or a company's vaccine capability or a nation state's to gain economic advantage? To me, we're, we're talking decades. We're talking generational impact there. Which one do you think is the worst, the worst case or where we should focus? Well, I mean, unfortunately, uh, I don't think there's a single area to focus. I think you, you're making some very good points there, right? Those are very large scale problems of, of significant scope and impact, not only in, in space, but also, as, as you rightfully said, in, in time. And I think the, the challenge is going to be to balance these considerations. There needs to be, you know, day-to-day -day security to make sure patient safety is assured, to make sure that care delivery is not disrupted. And yes, there's the long-term strategic impact, as you said, around um, potential disruption of vaccine production, vaccine uh, distribution, and, and, and. So, you know, I would hesitate to say one is more important than the other, um, but I do acknowledge that that finding the right balance is really critical. And I don't think finding that balance is something an individual hospital or an individual pharmaceutical company can do on their own. Right? I think this requires national and international cooperation and requires that we understand that a cyber attack on one is a cyber attack on us all. Uh, so this is, I think, very much of a paradigm shift compared to how we looked at it in the past. It is not a local problem. It is not a problem um, for this week. Those are global problems and those are problems, as you said, that can impact us for generations. So have you had to pivot based on what you just said? Um, have you changed your strategy to deal with the individual and on the larger scale? So, so, so my strategy and my company's uh, MedGrip strategy um, has, has always been on proactive security, right? Whatever is being built or is being deployed should be as secure as possible. Then you have reduced the reactive part to a manageable minimum. I think what we have seen today, and I go back to my WannaCry example, um, those are cyber incidents where clearly the response, the reactive part overwhelmed the given organization and the impact was significant. Right? We need to make sure that systems are resilient. We need to make sure that security is not brittle. We need to make sure that security is designed into every piece of equipment we buy and put on our networks. Um, 
And, and yes, there still will be incidents, but the point is we need to bring it down to a manageable level that does not have the, um, the potential to, to, to create a shutdown. And do you think healthcare users, consumers of, of medical products are willing to pay a little more for better protected capability? We haven't seen that in the industry before. My opinion, I really wouldn't look at security as as an individual feature with a, with a price tag, at least not on the level of the end product. Right? I mean, if you go car shopping, you don't want to pay less for the car with the cheaper seat belts and airbags. And you expect a minimum standard of safety in your car, period. And you don't even consider that as being part of the price tag of the car you're buying. I think the same is true for medical devices where a hospital buying medical devices or a patient receiving medical devices from their doctor, from the hospital, really shouldn't consider or be forced to consider whether they want to pay more for a better secured device. There needs to be a level of security, a standard of security that needs to be met, period, and no discussion similar again to my example of the um, airbags and seatbelts. Okay, but then you're really talking a regulatory requirement because I don't think that I don't think the normal consumer is smart enough to or not smart enough. I, I don't think they think about it. I don't think they're educated in the requirements. And when I say consumer, I'm not talking somebody buying a thermometer at home, but maybe there's a clinician who's you know, or a board of clinicians who's deciding which MRI system to buy. Um, but I don't know that they're looking at security typically, at least in my experience. Well, but I mean, I love what Axel just said. It it should be built in. But you're right, Eric. I mean, we probably and Axel alluded this. You alluded to this earlier about needing this to be at a national level that, you know, when you buy a car, you expect it to be as safe as possible. And same in the medical industry. But they're, but they're not. And that's right. the reality in my experience, right? Certain manufacturers aren't putting things into cars unless they're regulatory required. I, I was dealing with a, a consumer products company a couple years ago before Forcepoint. And it was like an extra dollar. I think I maybe told this story once. It was an extra dollar to put some, some embedded security, OEM-based security built into a, a device that this consumer products company was creating. It was too much money. And these were... These were expensive devices, five to 1500 US dollars, an, an extra dollar of cost. And then the downstream cost of documenting, understanding how, you know, it's already IP connected, which is why they were, they were doing that. But it was just too much. They decided they couldn't afford it to be competitive. So, so clearly security has to become a, a competitive argument, right? And I think security has to become, and I think, I think we're slowly getting there, has to become a buying decision on the side of the consumer, meaning the, the hospital or whoever is the decision maker to buy a particular device um, over another. Um, and, and I think we are on the path that, that regulations and standards on medical device security um, are evolving, right? The FDA has, has had an effort un, underway um, since their uh, first pre-market cybersecurity guidance in 2014. Um, recently, the uh, IMDRF, International Medical Device uh, 
Manufacturer Regulatory Forum uh, released their guidance. Um, guidance has come out uh, in, in Europe uh, on a European level, in France, on a national level, in Singapore, in South Korea, in Japan, in China. So uh, Canada, Australia, I mean, the list is, is, is getting longer by the day. And, and so clearly the, the pressure, the regulatory pressure is building. But it is also an interesting balance as we are in this transitional time because there's the real risk that if we step up regulatory enforcement too quickly that certain beneficial technologies will not be available anymore that a manufacturer for example may say the effort is too high to make this particular device this particular type of treatment more secure therefore i'm going to discontinue it or smaller manufacturers may decide that hey this whole healthcare market is way too complicated for me i'll just exit the market right and and medical devices are always directly tied to patient benefits care delivery treatment diagnosis you name it so so the balance we need to take right now and i think that is often overlooked is a balance between uh, making sure that we steadily improve security without negatively impacting the availability of critical medical technology. Right? And that is a very fine balance, and it's a very difficult balance. I realize that. Yeah, but it sounds like there is some hope that the regulatory pressures are mounting. At this point, that's something. To keep it to the point, we're going to have to wrap up there, but... Thank you. This is a lot to think about and an interesting discussion. So thanks for joining us today, Axel. Well, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. As always, you can find us on your favorite podcast platform or at forcepoint.com. Be sure to share with your friends. And until next week. Have a good week. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 